بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم يا عظيم السلطان يا قديم الإحسان يا دائم النعم يا كثير الجود يا واسع العطاء يا خفي اللطف يا جميل الصنع يا حليم الأجل صل يا ربي على سيدنا محمد وآله وسلم وارضى عن الصحابة أجمعين اللهم لك الحمد شكرا ولك المن فضلك وأنت ربنا حقا ونحن عبيدك رقا وأنت لم تزل لذلك أهلا يا ميسر كل عسير ويا جابر كل كثير ويا صاحب كل فريد ويا مغني كل فقير ويا مقوي كل ضعيف ويا مأمن كل مخيف يسر علينا كل عسير فتيسير العسير عليك يسير اللهم يا من لا يحتاج إلى البيان والتفسير حاجاتنا كثير وأنت عالم بها وخبير اللهم إني أخاف منك وأخاف من يخاف منك وأخاف ممن لا يخاف منك اللهم بحق من يخاف منك نجنا ممن لا يخاف منك اللهم بحق سيدنا محمد أحرسنا بعينك التي لا تنام وكنفنا بكنفك الذي لا يرام وارحمنا بقدرتك علينا فلا نهلك وأنت ثقتنا ورجاؤنا صلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه وسلم والحمد لله رب العالمين عز خلقه ورضا نفسه وزنة عرشه وميداد كلماته اللهم إنا نسألك زيادة في الدين وبركة في العمر وصحة في الجسد وسعة في الرزق وتوبة قبل الموت وشهادة عند الموت ومغفرة بعد الموت وعفو عند الحساب وأمان من العذاب ونصيبا من الجنة وارزقنا النظر إلى وجهك الكريم وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه وسلم سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين عدد خلقه ورضا نفسه وزنة عرشه وميداد كلماته السلام عليكم everyone welcome to the second nothing but facts podcast where we're only interested in facts and if you bring something other than facts you're not interested be careful you're liable to get rejected we're studying this book of the gift of Darud and Salam. Durud, I guess, just with a U. The gift of Durud and Salam. Okay, uh, a wonderful book by the, uh, I guess, the whole staff of the Durban, South Africa, Madrasa Ta'lim al-Din, or Ta'lim al-Din, technically. And when we say nothing but facts, well, where do facts come from? All facts, this is your epistemology 101, are one of three kinds. All your facts are one of three sources either from observation, something that you can do an experiment and you could see it right in front of you, or you observe it, right? Like I'm observing this plant or whatever. Okay, so that's science. That's the realm of science, observation. There's no logic to it. Like, there's no logic of why there's gravity. There, it just is. So that's observation. Secondly is reason, okay? Two plus two is four, has to be. A person can't be dead and alive with the same meaning. So either you're alive or you're not alive. You can't be both. Either you're pregnant or you're not pregnant. So that's mantiq or logic. And math is one of those sciences. And then transmitted knowledge, what you get from transmission. So language, journalism, like the local news, okay? Um, history and deen. Deen is a transmitted knowledge. That's why the shorter the chain of transmission, the better, all right? The, the, the more your deen is in accord to what the past scholars have said, the closer to the truth, right? So we continue now on our, this really important book, talking about the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He says that 
when we talk about the Prophet, we have to think about the rights that the Prophet has over us. And he has an immense amount of rights. Why is that? Because yet the Prophet may have not brought us into the world like our parents did. But what's the value of being in this world if you end up going to hell? Right? And spending eternity in the hellfire. What's more important? The one who safeguards this life for you or the one who safeguards the next life? And the Prophet is the means that Allah chose, just like Allah chose your parents. Why are your parents special to you? Allah chose them, right? You didn't choose your parents, and they didn't choose you. But because Allah chose that for you, okay, so now you have to give them that respect. That's what Allah chose for you. So likewise, Allah has chosen for us, the Messenger وسلم, to be our salvation for the Akhirah. Okay, so all of our eternity, okay, he is owed a gratitude for that. Okay, so how long do you owe a debt of gratitude and respect to your parents? Your entire life, right? No one doubts that. Your entire life. Okay, even when, even if they're dead, and they're Muslim, then you have to make dua for them. You still owe them birr al after their death, which is to make dua for them. Okay? So likewise, now compare that with the one who safeguarded your akhirah. All of your nourishment of the afterlife is by deeds. Where do you get your deeds from? Deeds come from the Prophet's teachings. Now you did them and, and all those teachers, but the top of them is the Prophet. So you owe a debt of gratitude for how long? For an eternity. And this is the response of someone says, Be careful of praising the Messenger too much. Okay, when Allah says that He makes salah upon the Messenger, peace be upon Him, how, what is the amount of time that Allah does this? Well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is munazza. He's munazza. He's transcendent beyond time. There's no today, tomorrow, and, and the day after for Allah. He's, he's the creator of time. You have to understand this. He created time. So his salah and salam, his salah upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is eternal, is pre-eternal. So there's no limit. What salah and salam can we do on the Prophet, peace be upon him? Right? Let's say you did it your whole life, 80 years. What is 80 years next to an eternity? So this you know, myth and this statement, which is a lie, that, oh, you can make salah and, and praise the Prophet too much, right? The only, uh, how, how is it going to be too much when you're only doing it for 80, a sliver of an existence, whereas Allah has done it pre-eternally and eternally into the future. So this is where that type of statement is a complete myth and, and you can never fulfill the shukr in the same way that you can never really fulfill gratitude to your parents. You can never really fulfill gratitude to the Prophet And man lam lam If you're not thanking, grateful to the people that Allah sent to you, then you're not thankful to Allah. Because Allah sent these people to you. And He's commanding us to thank them. So how do we fulfill this shukr and this, this right, this haq upon the Messenger of Allah Number one is love. There must be love of the Messenger. He puts love number first, but... He puts firm belief number two. I think you really have to put him the opposite, right? And and maybe there is a logic to put love first because before Sayyidina Abu Bakr and Sayyidina Khadija, they loved the Prophet, peace be upon him. They, they, they had firm belief in him. They had love for him. So that, that this logic does make sense because they loved the Prophet before they had firm belief in him. And oftentimes the love of the Messenger feeds your firm belief. Because remember, people make conclusions about what they believe and what they do Based, true, really based on their heart, and then their mind comes up with a justification. That's the truth. If you think it's otherwise, I'm fortunate to tell you you're mistaken. People, they love something first, then they justify it. Okay, And this is exactly why he says the love of the Prophet comes first, then 
firm belief comes second. Okay? Love feeds belief. And really, in a sense, they're both very close, uh, closely tied. Now, if you truly believe in him, what is the sign? What's the reflection that you truly believe in the Prophet, peace be upon him? Obedience. Okay? Absolute obedience to the Messenger, peace be upon him. And then, what's number four? Sending Salah and Salam upon him. Okay? So these are the four obligations that are diligently held by the one who truly wants to be connected to the Messenger of Allah And in this day and age, if you want your deen to be saved, okay, you need to know, you need to be connected to the Prophet because he's the one who teaches us how to implement the Qur'an. Okay? How does Allah want to be worshipped? You know, worship Allah any old way, any way that you want to. No, it's going to be through the Messenger of Allah Some people said, why did some madhabs of fiqh survive and others didn't? Someone said, and Allah knows best, but the ones who, who had a greater ishq and love for the Prophet ﷺ, their madhahib survived. And Allah knows best if that's true, without decreasing from anybody of the other madhahib. So let's take a look at the obligation of love that we inculcate for Sayyid al-Kawnayn, Sayyidina Muhammad ﷺ. It's reported in the hadith that your iman is not perfect until one loves the Messenger of Allah more than he loves himself and his children and all people. So, okay, let's talk about this now because you may be like, whoa, I'm not even a mu'min then. No, the love of the Prophet ﷺ is really two things. One of it's rational and one of it is natural. What is binding upon us is that which we have in, in our control because Allah doesn't put anything binding upon you unless it's on your, in your control. So which one is in our control? The natural, the, the, the rational love of the Prophet. What does that mean, rational love of the Prophet? It means that you put the Prophet as a priority, obedience to him, followership of him, and all these other things, you put that as a priority. Even if that means you would displease your children, you would displease your parents, you would displease uh, all people. So when he says that, when the Prophet says that, it, the, the, the scholar said, had to say, well, what does that mean? And they divide it into these two types. Rational love is, in my mind, I know he is owed first. I'm going to pay my debt of gratitude to the messenger first, then to everybody else. Obedience to his sunnah first, then everybody else. We can all do that rationally. Then they said, well, what's extra is the natural love of the Prophet And I see a lot of comments. We're going to get to the comments. We're not even going to be long today, but we're going to get to the comments. The natural love of the Prophet, that comes... If it comes to people, it comes with, with, with years of exposure to the Messenger and seeing the benefits of following his example and belief in him and salah and salam upon him. All right? So in that case, that natural love is, you can't control that. But you can control the deeds that lead you to it. You see the difference? And that's why when we say love of the Messenger first, right, uh, that we're talking about na the rational love. And then the natural love follows after that. On one occasion, Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab, he addressed the Messenger Sallallahu and he said, Oh Messenger of Allah, I love you more than everyone except myself. Because he's being honest. I love myself first, right? The Messenger Sallallahu said, No, by the one in whose hands is my soul, okay, not even yourself, until you love me more than, you have more love for me than your own self. Why? Because that's what's 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 justified if the it's the it's the messenger has been created as the means to save your eternity 
right? What value is yourself, your love of yourself, if you're in the fire, right? So you owe that eternity to the Prophet And that's, and then immediately Sayyidina Omar paused for a second, and he said, now even you, or, or, or even my own self. And the Prophet said, now you have perfected your Iman, now it's complete, all right? Without us developing love for the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, right, then we will never absorb his commandments and prohibitions, which are Allah's commandments and prohibitions, in the right way. We'll never absorb it in the right way. And that's why the love of the Prophet, peace be upon him, it's really paramount in the religion. And he's the example. So look at the Sahaba. Their condition is not that they memorize certain Qur'an to become a Sahabi, do this, that, or the other. No, you just were in the presence of the Prophet as a believer, even for a moment, and died upon that same belief, all right? Like you didn't apostate after that, all right? And even if you apostated, you have to have met the Prophet again, because if you apostated, you nullified your companionship. If the Prophet is still alive, then you met him again, then you become a Sahabi, okay? Because there was one case where a man, he he was a Sahabi, he, he, he became Muslim in the time of the Prophet. He apostates, he goes, joins the Meccans again. The Prophet ﷺ returns to Allah, he passes away. This man comes back, becomes a Muslim again in the time of Sayyidina Abu Bakr. Is he a Sahabi or not? He's not. X. All right, he's not a Sahabi. All right. So this is the importance of the love of the Prophet Sallallahu loving the Messenger, peace be upon him. So, and think about it, rationally speaking, when you, when you see people behave, they always do what they love to do. They'll find a way to do it. Doesn't make a difference. People do what they love. So that's why you have to focus more about the heart and emotion and love because that's what people are going to do. And if you look, uh, uh, all the marketers, what do they do? They just try to make you love the product. It doesn't, it doesn't have to make sense. The, the purchase doesn't have to make sense, right? Financially, you just love it. So you buy it because you love it, right? People act more on emotion than they actually realize. And the intellect, it's really almost like... Uh, it's almost like, cl not clouded with, it's, it's informed by emotions more than anything else. All right, let's look at the second obligation. All right. We have to have absolute firm confidence and belief that the Messenger وسلم, spoke the truth, okay? And that what he's upon is our salvation. There can't be a discussion about this, okay? You have to wholeheartedly accept everything he tells us. Now, we have to talk about this from an Aqidah standpoint. When we say this, we mean those narrations of hadith that are sound and have come to us from numerous sources and sound sources. Now, if something has come to us uh, of a narration, this is like an Aqidah point here, that is a single solitary narration, let's say it came from one Sahabi, and we don't understand it. It's sort of mutashabih for us. It's, it's not exactly clear to us what it means then we are allowed to say that we will suspend this narration. We're just going to suspend it. We're not going to say that we don't believe in it, right? But we're not going to make a conclusion about what it means. And we, we may suspend it. So this is it's allowed for a Muslim to do that, right? For, and, and it's really the scholars, it's up to the scholars to do that. Those are the ahadith that may be a bit confusing to a person. And there's no other corroboration, neither the Qur'an and, nor in the other hadiths, right? So we just suspend it. And Imam Malik did this on a number of occasions. We don't reject the hadith, but he just suspended and he didn't preach it. Okay. So, but leaving that aside, if the Prophet was to tell us something and we're absolutely certain 
in its narration, in its soundness, and the, the language, the meaning. We're absolutely certain we accept it. Okay? And if you have trouble accepting it, well, what do you do? And this is possible because we're now uh, a lot, we're, we're, we're living in a society where certain talking points are repeated over and over, right? Whether it's from, and I consider these to be like religions because they're ethical or they're, and they're beliefs based upon certain assumptions. Okay? In the same way that Christianity has its own assumptions, that this is the source of truth is the King James Bible. That's an assumption. We ain't proved that to me, that it came from Jesus. There's no proof for that. That's an assumption. It's a belief that you have. And then you extract ideas from that. All right? In the same way, the pro today in the secular world, they have their own assumptions. Okay? These aren't, this is not, not, no one came from heaven and said we have to believe in these things. And they extract from these assumptions certain beliefs. And then they have their people, their du'at, go and repeat these talking points. So you have right-wing talking points. You have left-wing talking points. You have all these things. Right? So, so people accept these things. That's their belief. Right? For, for us, we're going to go back to the message of Allah وسلم, first and foremost. And that's what we're going to take from him. And we're going to look at these and have absolute confidence that this is what's true. So you have to understand that when you're taking the Prophet as your example, all right, you're taking him as your example, it, it's, you're, there may be a time where some, you've been taught something and the Prophet's given you something different. Especially if you're into like morality and justice, you may have absorbed you know, something of a left-wing version of things or a right-wing version of things. Okay, in the old days, it was a communist, socialist version and a capitalist version of things. All right, today it's a progressive version of things or a nationalist, you know, like a uh, the the, the right-wing nationalist groups, and these are the the moralities that are in play today in the arena. When we take the prophets, I said we're saying I'm getting rid of all that. And if something from the Prophet ﷺ comes that matches that stuff, it's just a coincidence, right? So you got to understand, we're clearing the slate for the Messenger. If you're sincere about this, let's clear the slate. And I'm a clean slate, O Messenger of Allah, put whatever you want on this slate. And that's the approach of a true believer, okay? I'm not going to try to fit the truth of the deen into some other mentality that I have. Now, there are cultural things. But there are also moral things that are completely based on assumptions. And we have to declare over and over and over, we don't accept any of these assumptions. They're not our assumptions. In the same way that Hindu assumptions, we know that that's not our assumption. No one, when a Hindu comes to talk to you, you know, he's got his religion, I got mine. He's got his assumed truths about reincarnation. That's your belief. And I got mine. He doesn't try to apply mine to his, uh, to me. And I'm not going to apply mine to him. I'm not going to say, hey, uh, you're eating khanzir. No, he doesn't believe in that. I'm not saying, hey, you're drinking khamr. He doesn't believe in my assumptions or, or what, I, what, what, what is the truth of Islam. So in the same way, whenever the, you're talking about hadith, you're talking about the Prophet ﷺ, clear the slate. Okay? This is ikhlas. Clear the slate. And whatever the message of Allah gives, if I have a hard time believing it, I ask Allah Ta'ala, Oh Allah, make my heart settle with what is true. And if you ever have a question, uh, oh my gosh, I can't believe this hadith, it, it's really shocking to me. Go to the books of Islamic law. Don't judge the hadith by yourself because you may be jamming a hadith into yourself that you don't have to. You may have totally misunderstood it. Let me give you an example. There's a famous hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, whoever looks into the sky while praying is going to go blind. All right, well, why did the Prophet say this? Now go look at the sharh of that hadith. Prophet ﷺ saw some Sahaba praying, okay, and looking up in the sky. 
these are maybe some nomads that came, they're barely learning. So the Prophet said, don't look up when you pray. Don't look up in the sky when you pray. Second time, third time. Now the fourth time, the Prophet, they're not paying attention. Because some of these nomads, they, don't, they weren't like the other companions. Okay, Of course, they're companions, but not like the other companions who are trained disciples of the Prophet, students. So what did the Prophet then say? The Prophet then said, he had to get their attention somehow. And he got their attention by saying, whoever looks up into the sky, he may lose his eyesight. So they got scared and they stopped looking up in the sky. Okay? So uh, you have to understand the background behind Hadith before you read a Hadith and you get so startled. Because we have to make sure that you know, we never have a reaction to something the Prophet says that's negative. That's what the idea of completing our Iman is the idea that whatever the Prophet brought, we're so comfortable with it. We're pleased with it. The Prophet said, none of you have perfected their faith until his whim and desire is in accord with what I have brought. Okay. So, this is why it, we need constant exposure to knowledge of the deen so that we get explanations, so that we're, we're really comfortable with everything. Okay. So the, this is the concept of, you know, how we're going to have firm belief and confidence in the Prophet is by constant exposure and understanding, you know, what is it that is aqidah and is law from the hadith and what is it that isn't, okay? Because not every single hadith is something acted upon. There's hadith that are weak, for example. All right, so let's take another look at this. One of the ways in which we attain Firm belief and confidence in the Prophet وسلم, is constantly examining the result of his students, which we call the Sahaba, right? What is the result? Like, what's the scoreboard? Yesterday I talked about the scoreboard. What's the scoreboard here? Okay, the scoreboard is what's the result? Let's take a look at what these, uh, you know, people are always telling you, this is how you should raise your children. This is how you shouldn't raise your children. I don't want to know your theories. I want to see your children. Let me see your kids. But all these people, and, 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 and the LGBT lobby is into this, the transgender lobby is into this, they're all telling us what we should teach our kids in schools, okay, and what we should do with our kids when they're born, in terms of their gender, and that they should give us a choice. Hold on a second, you guys all live a lifestyle, you chose not to have kids. Why are you getting involved with my kids? You chose to live a type of life, you're not involved with kids. So stay out of it. Leave me to raise my kids the way I want to raise them. You don't get involved in programming my kid. If I'm walking, right, and during COVID, everyone's taking walks, right? And I started, I ignored the parent, and I started preaching something to one of the neighbor's kids. That's going to be a fight in the neighborhood, right? So why is it that these absolute strangers could come from online or wherever they come from, all right, and try to get involved in the local libraries, in the, in the, in the elementary schools? What is your obsession with people's kids? right? You chose not to have kids. So stay out of it and get out of my business. My kids are my business, right? Let me teach them how I want to teach them. They say, oh, you're, they're not given a chance to see the whole gamut of the whole world. Okay. Tough luck. I don't want to give them a chance. Do we put anything in our mouth? Right? Do I just go eat this leaf, uh, eat a berry off a tree? Do I just put anything in our mouth or do I filter what goes into my kid's mouth? You can kill an infant if you give them the wrong foods at the wrong time. Right? So who decides that? And who's, who's guilty if he mistakes that? You, you let your baby eat peanut, uh, popcorn, right? And you know they're going to choke. 
right? That's why you don't give babies popcorn. Toddlers, you don't give them popcorn because little peels, will they'll choke on it, okay? But if you did, what is the court going to do? Take you for criminal negligence, right? So you can be found guilty for not filtering your kid's food. In the same way, you're going to be found guilty in our worldview and in many other worldviews if you don't filter what your kid sees every day and believes and is exposed to. We believe, and this is the truth, Allah Ta'ala is going to take you to account. He takes you to account if you don't filter in the same way that the secular court of law right here in North Brunswick, they'll take me to account if I let my kid go, walk wherever he wants, eat whatever he needs, and he ends up dying or getting hit by a car. That's criminal negligence of a parent. Well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala looks the same way. The Christians believe the same thing. The Hindus probably believe the same thing about Ganesh. Uh, uh, the, uh, the Jews, religious Jews probably believe the same thing. And every other religion believes the same thing. Okay? And likewise, the, the progressives believe the same thing. Oh, you exposed your kid to, you know, um, some kind of right-wing thing. You, you know, you're guilty in some sort of way. Right? Same thing. Well, I don't expose his stomach to everything, I filter it. Likewise, I filter the ideas that they're going to come in their heads, right? And for parents out there, I got a nice lockbox I bought from, I can't remember where I bought it from, and all these electronic devices, right? At night, I put them in there and I lock the lockbox, and I feel safe. Why? Because these electronic devices, on the internet, it's a bunch of strangers, and these strangers are trying to tell you, you what to do, what, you're, what to think, and your kids what to think and what to love. So why am I letting strangers in the house? Do you lock the door? I lock the door every night. Every night I do a little uh, lap around the house. I lock up all the doors. I lock up all the windows. And I make sure everything is safe. The cars are locked. Everything is safe, right? It's just a little routine that everyone does. Why? Because they are strangers. I don't want strangers coming in my house. I don't want them looking in the windows. I put the blinds down. There are strangers here. This hanging around the house is far worse then the door unlocked. I can guarantee you, I'll leave the door unlocked 100 days out of the year. And, and we've always, many times, slept with the, with the garage door open. Neighbor comes by, oh, by the way, I was driving by, your garage door is open, right? All the time, nothing happened. I could let my kid, I bet you, walk around the neighborhood, okay, until five in the morning, nothing's, 100 times, 99 times out of 100, absolutely nothing is gonna happen. But hang around and, uh, and go on this, until five in the morning, I guarantee you something very bad's gonna happen, right? Eventually, some crazy ideas. We filter ideas. I don't care what the progressives say. I don't believe in their principles. That open your, uh, let your kids choose and let you, you don't, you, you don't have kids. You chose not to have kids. And if you have kids, I wanna see the, the result. So that's why we're saying, we don't wanna, I don't wanna see theory. I wanna see the result. So how does all this tie back to the Prophet Sallallahu and confidence in him. We don't need to hear the theory of the Prophet Let's just look at the result. Let's look at his companions. What did they do? In every front, they were of the epitome of success. Let's look at the spiritual front. From the spiritual front, we still honor them and take religion from them, right? Someone says, Aisha said this, Sayyidina Aisha said this, Sayyidina Abu Huraira said this, Sayyidina Umar said this. We take our life guidance from them. All of our fiqh is based on them. That's number one. Number two, all right, it's good to be a religious thing, but we live in this world. All right, let's take a look what they did to the world. How about conquering the entire world? The known world to them at that time, in their hemisphere. That, their hemisphere. Like India and China's on one side. Persia, Greece, the, or the uh, Persia and the Byzantine Empire on the other side. 
They're on. They're in the Western Conference. They they're in the Western Hemisphere. They conquered their entire hemisphere, and in time, it spread to West Africa all the way uh, to Andalusia, down into Sub-Saharan Africa, okay, up into Spain, then Anatolia, and then everywhere. We got Abdul a Hadith about Zubair ibn al-Awwam. Zubair ibn al-Awwam, he said that he sold a piece of land and came with set the, the, the amount of land that he had with 70,000 gold coins. Do you know, like, insane amount of money that is, right? And because of the way the Prophet taught them the deen, he gathered immediately. He told his wife, we're not spending, this is not money, not spending the night in our house, okay? So look at how they reacted when they did succeed in the dunya. How did they react? This is not, not, so gather, he had, this, he had one of his sons gather all of the family and they distributed it, he just distributed it all to the family, right? They were spiritual and secular success stories, all of them. One of them, he said, I was one of the first seven Muslims and I bear witness today that all seven of them are governors of cities. They're governors of cities. So the Prophet said, he knows we live in this world. I don't necessarily just want to see a religious success, I want to see a worldly success because he, Human nature, we all have this. I, I personally, you want to just be a religious success? Not really. I want to also be a worldly success, right? I want my wife and kids to look up and say, Mashallah, like we live well within this, under this roof. We live happy under this roof. I got the stuff that other people don't may not have. That's what I want them to say. And I want them to also say, and I want them to be able to react with it in the right, in the, in the, in a way that would please the people of the deen. No kibr, no arrogance, humility. So spiritual success and worldly success. That's what the Prophet, that, when you look at that, you gain firm confidence. There was a man of the truth. I don't care about arguments. I don't care about proofs. Give me the result. Right? And this is the way we operate. Okay, so we, we covered here the love of the Messenger, peace be upon him. And we covered here the obligation of firm belief and confidence. Anytime that there's any doubt, just look at the Sahaba. That's the result. That's the scoreboard. I want to see results. He gave us results. Prophet said him gave us results. In the same way, you want a medical school, you want to have a college, you want a teacher, all right, good. Uh, I don't need to see your curriculum on paper. Do you know how easy it is to put a curriculum on paper? I could put one, I could put the best curriculum on paper in 15 minutes for an entire Islamic college. That makes, has zero value. I need to see what the students look like. If they have kibr, they study with you for 10 years and like 10 out of 10 have kibr, they have arrogance issues, or they're harsh, or they're ignorant, then I got no, no use for your curriculum, right? So this is uh, one of the best ways, and that's why they say this, the, the dhikr of the sahaba, right, examining the sahaba and the lives of the companions is actually one of the best ways to have confidence in the Prophet because that's the result. All right, let's start looking at the comments now. Here we go. Bismillah. Kimberly Torres, she says, it's sad that we have to discuss this. All right, we are so far. May Allah fill our hearts with the immense love of the Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. I guarantee you, you're, she's 100% right, that there are people, they cringe, Muslims, and some of them are teachers. They cringe when you talk too much about the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Uh... I want you to look around and now have a sensor in your mind. Whenever you hear Islamic discourse, see where is the messenger in this discourse and then start making a mental categorization. Okay. 
that this, this, and I'm not even going to tell you what the conclusion is going to be, because you're going to come to a conclusion where the messenger Sallallahu is lifted and elevated in the discourse and is always talked about in connection. I mean, when we talk about Aqidah, we bring it back to the Prophet. When we talk about Fiqh, we bring it back to the Prophet. When we talk about spirituality, we bring it back to the Prophet. Everything we do, we bring it back to the Prophet. Of course, the, Qur the Qur'an and the messenger Sallallahu But why is there really no difference? The messenger is the example of the application of the Qur'an. Right? You ever see someone say, oh, you have to have a teacher. What is the value of the teacher? The value of the teacher, he's the application of the knowledge. You get to see how it's applied. Okay? So having a teacher is the same as studying you know, a book. It's better because you get to see the application. And I want you to start comparing what is the environment like, what is the feel and the, the, the results of those Islamic environments that make a lot of talk about the Prophet versus those that don't. And what is the type of person who, who focuses a lot on the messenger and those that don't? Start making a comparison. Okay. Alicia says, will this be recorded? And the answer is, uh, as Fatima Shifat says, yes, we put it on this page and on YouTube and on SoundCloud under the uh, playlist, nothing but facts. Okay. Because we're not interested in anything but facts. Uh, uh, you're going to bring anything beyond some facts. You're going to bring nonsense or progressive uh, talk, talking points. Not interested. All right. Um, we have to remind her here, all of our classes start next week. Don't miss out on the classes. These are, we're talking here, but you got to start now building yourself up as a student of knowledge. Okay. What's the difference? The common Muslim, he listens to speeches and they benefit him and he moves on. But the student of knowledge, you need to start being a student of knowledge, even if it's one hour a week. He starts caring about the sources of knowledge and he gets a curriculum. He starts understanding what is the curriculum of knowledge. And he starts building it one at a time. Right? So become students of knowledge. Sign up. Jomo Ali's Arabic course. Okay? Intro to Arabic. Sign up. Now we have Islamic history. We got Hanafi Fiqh, Maliki Fiqh. We got all these classes. All right? That you can go. 15 online classes and 30 pre-recorded classes. Right? And we have people, they never attend any online classes because of their time zone. Malaysia, Indonesia, Australia. But they all attend... You know, they watch the pre-recorded classes and they ask questions on the WhatsApp group. So the way ArcView works is it, there, there is a place for all the pre-recorded classes. Then there's a Google Classroom with links for the current live classes. And then there's a WhatsApp group for discussion. And alhamdulillah, the team has done such a good job and so many people are benefiting. And it's only 10 bucks a month. You know that you're spending on Disney 6 bucks a month, on Netflix like 17 bucks a month, wasting your time and half of it's haram. Right, so make tawbah by signing up on ArcView and learning something. Ennis says, if someone believes that salah on the Prophet can be excessive, that's an insane belief, would this be considered to be shirk, such as a claim that entertaining the logical possibility of surpassing Allah in one of his actions? So let me get this again. If someone believes that salah on the Prophet can be excessive, now, what is excess? The only, the, the shara'i definition of excess is that it blocks you from another obligation. So, if you did salah on the Prophet from, from dhuhr all the way to maghrib and you skipped asr, something that probably has never happened in the history of the ummah, we would say, yeah, you're, you got problems, right? That person has problems, okay? Would this be considered shirk since such a claim is entertaining the logical possibility of surpassing Allah in one of his actions. No, we won't say it that way, it really because, uh, but we would say just that 
the person should be yu'addab. Yu'addab means that the, the sultan, the governor, should um, teach him some manners, okay, uh, in whatever way he wants. If someone goes around saying, oh, Salah and the Prophet's excessive, you're like, that's like an insult, all right? And you're incorrect and you're spreading something that's a bid'ah. And you should be given a Tazidi punishment. Send him to Alex. Oh, set him straight. Anas Ahmed also says, slightly unrelated question, what is the significance of reciting Fatiha at the end of gatherings, at graves, at news conferences, or at, new, at news of someone's passing, etc.? Any Qur'an, we are allowed to give the thawab for it. Okay? We're allowed to give the thawab for it. And that's, uh, that's the idea that recite Fatiha to, to give the thawab. And the Umm al-Qur'an, the mother of the Qur'an, is al-Fatiha. That's why they do that. Is it a recommendation to kiss the thumb and wipe the eyes? There is a weak hadith that says that when the Mu'addin says, Muhammad, um, Muhammad Rasulullah, that there's a weak hadith that Sayyidina Abu Bakr used to do this, kiss his, uh, uh, and, and the reason, and, and push it onto his, and rub it against his eyes. It's a weak hadith, and they do that in Tareem, for example. And they say that Adam, السلام, he said, show me your most beloved messenger. And the light of the Prophet came onto his thumbs, so he kissed it. And he put it onto his uh, eyes. And there, you can find it's a weak hadith, but they act upon it as you can act upon some weak hadiths. Shabana says, I'm sorry, I Arabize all the names, it should be Shabana. Uh, some people say that the laws of Sharia were made for circumstances, as we ne have new circumstances. We need to use our own logic to decide what's right for us for a lack of modern fatawa system, perhaps a failure of open discussion of diverse issues. So the rule of thumb is that the Sharia was made for all times. Then if we come and find that there is something that would affect our life, a very important question that Shaban asked. It affects our life and it, or it makes it impossible to live. Like very hard, a difficulty to live. Then who is allowed to make this assessment? The scholars, not us common folk. Right? Someone like me. You have to know the rank of the person you're listening to. Transmitter. Transmitter of what is known, okay, in by the majority of whatever method that we're talking about. And I'm going to talk, teach you fit from the uh, Medic method and Aqidah from the Ashari method. Okay? That's what I'm going to transmit. Whatever I'm going to say, if it's, if it's the dominant opinion of those books, that's it. If it's not, then you bring it to me, I make the correction. That's the policy. It's like a policy. Who can now give a fatwa is someone who is a master in one of the four schools of thought and using the precedent set in that, in that madhab, they could make analogies and give fatwa. So it's very important to say that yes, fatwa do exist and they're necessary, but, but for whom? It's not an open-ended thing. What is open-ended? The ability to study and become a mufti. They say, oh, you can't limit religion to what the f f f scholars say. Of course we can but what we don't limit is who the scholars are. Are you allowed to go prescribing medicine? Are you allowed to go give financial advice? You know that it's actually illegal to give financial advice unless you're part of like a, an insured institution, right? Financial advice, about dollars and cents, that money comes and goes. Medical advice. Dr. Oz was almost like taken in front of the Senate, dragged in front of the Senate for giving, you know, what seemed to be medical advice because he's promoting certain things and he's a doctor, right? Mehmet 
So this is something that uh, uh, I hope it answers Shabana's question, but it's very important. Let the masters of the methods give the fatawa, not anybody else. Ansar says, isn't it possible that hadith was about dhuhr prayer and they was looking at the sun, the sky, Hafid. it wasn't really, um, it could be, but it wasn't really, that wasn't the sharh in there. Okay. Anya Lopez reminds us that all we're interested here is nothing but facts. Okay. You're going to bring some other nonsense, I'm not interested. All right, folks. Let us, uh, let's see what else is, what other comments. Let's see where we are at the comment. Let's refresh the page. Okay. Mm. All right, let's ref ref refresh this page and see what's going on. Mm. Couple other comments here. I had an argument, Sidra, Sidra Azam says, I had an argument. Some people got angry that we don't always say Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam or Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala when addressing Allah, but we always say Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. How should we respond to them? It's a very simple answer is that the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, uh, Stingy is the one who does not make Salah and Salam upon me. He's stingy on himself. That's number one. Number two, Allah Himself says, O you who believe, send salah and salam upon the Messenger. There is no specific commandment of saying, O you who believe, say subhanahu wa ta'ala, or dhul jalali wal ikram, or azza wa jal, when Allah is mentioned. That's why. Ziyad Chivani says, In Maliki Fiqh, can we say out loud the salawat on the Nabi when he is mentioned during the khutbah, or is it haram? as for normal talk it's not considered for talking but it is considered it may distract others so you could just say it on your lips okay some scholars propagate fiqh of minorities i'm telling you if you need a fatwa go to the masters of one of the madhabs who is authorized by the scholars of that madhab to give fatwa about contemporary matters we call that mujtahid fin nawazil nawazil means the new events that have happened and he's a mujtahid in that. How does he do ijtihad in that? By comparing right, the, the new matter with the matters discussed in his method. Okay. Hmm. All right, that's it. We're good to go for today. Jazakumullah khairan. Subhanak Allahumma wa bihamdik. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk. Wal asr. Inna al-insana lafi khusr. Illa al-ladhina amanu wa aminu al-salihat. Wa tawasaw bil-haq. Wa tawasaw bil-sabr. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. And I'm going to put in the link here for classes starting Sunday. You can sign up there. Um, Levan Brown, last question. Uh, injury time question would you recommend fit councils in regions where the muftis of particular madhahib are not known uh, honestly some of the fit councils that, that I have seen they, the scholars there no offense to them they're not authorizing any of the madhahibs as mujtahid fin no offense to them so I just go and that's why you study if you join up 
with any fiqh study of any madhab, and there's one of the best things that uh, Arcview does is it will connect you to the elders of that madhab, Shafi'i, Hanafi, Maliki, Hanbali even, okay? The senior scholars of those madhab who are authorized to give the fatawa in Nawazah. Uh, Abu Bakr Sharif, love of the Prophet being natural and rational, is that through a Madiki lens? Not really, it's it's just something that is, you'll see mentioned in a lot of Madahib, not limited to the Madiki school. Alright folks, remember this is all going to be put on SoundCloud and on YouTube. Jazakum Allah khair, subhanakallahumma bihamdik, ashadu an la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruku natubu ilayk wal asr, inna al-insana la fi qasr, illa al-ladhina amanu wa amilu salihat wa tawasaw bil-haq. وتواصل بالصبر والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته